The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower & Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off-Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of government contracting. Amtower Off-Center, with your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I have a return guest today. I'm always excited to see David Shea, who is the director of the Center for Charge Card Management at GSA, one of my favorite programs in government. David, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Mark. Thanks for inviting me back again. Been too long, man. We'll try, try to get back to our regular 10, 11-month schedule here. Uh, especially because you're not in a in a competition mode now, so we can. Uh, so tell people who you are, what you do, uh, a little bit of background about the uh, the Charge Card program, please. Sure, I'm David Shea. I'm the director of the Center for Charge Card Management and the U.S. General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service. I run the uh, largest government charge card program in the world. Uh, it's uh, approximately 28 to $30 billion in spend a year. Um, it's on the order of, of three and a half uh, million accounts and on the order of, of 80 to 100 million transactions uh, each year. So um, a lot of cardholders, a lot of mission support for the agencies around the world. The program in its smart pay form uh, started in the late 1990s. It's about to celebrate its 20th anniversary. And since inception, we have over a half trillion dollars in spend, $3.7 billion in refunds, and 1.7 billion transactions. Say, say that refund number again, please, the rebate. $3.7 billion in refunds. That's cool. Since the program started. Yeah, this is, cool. this is funds that the agencies earn back simply by choosing to pay using a card. And again, it's purchase travel fleet and integrated cards with purchase constituting about two-thirds of the spend. Uh, and like you might on your personal card, uh, where you might earn points or, or dollars back, the federal government earns dollars back for for using the card program based on how much is spent and how quickly the bill is paid right and you're on a basically a 30-day cycle well they'll pay faster than that <clears throat> yeah. but yes yeah. it's a it's a it's a 30-day cycle but many agencies are down to paying uh, almost daily or just within a couple of days because payment velocity affects the amount of rebate that's earned oh cool now does that go into a general fund or back to that specific agency unless the agency has uh, statutory authority to the contrary the uh, refunds are are credited against the appropriation from which the expense was made. So in most cases, uh, those refunds will flow back to the agency component that actually made the purchase. In some agencies where they have statutory authority, uh, they can collect those refunds at the headquarters level and make investment decisions about how to um, how to use those. Yeah. So you've been running the program since 05. Yes, at GSA. So 13, 12, 13 of the uh, uh, 20 years for SmartPay. But the, the, the charge card program actually goes back a decade prior to that. So I, I want to clarify that for, for our listeners. program started in 98 or 88 as a pilot and then went uh, technically government-wide in 89 
Right. You had in the in the mid 80s, uh, you had uh, various pilots and initial work done uh, with the purchase card, for example. Uh, agencies like commerce and transportation were involved. You had the the travel card coming into uh, early use in the Department of Defense. You had the fleet card evolving in uh, in GSA. And so the federal government was a, an early innovator in the whole corporate card space and helped really develop uh, the product and a lot of the capabilities and controls that evolved all around that, leveraging the commercial infrastructure. In the late 90s is when OMB asked GSA to combine all the card programs together so that we would better leverage that collective spend to continue to continuously improve the program. And that became the GSA Smart Pay program that we're on the verge of celebrating the, the 20th yeah, anniversary 20. of. Yes, Very sir. Cool. Yeah, and, you know, it, it, it's not surprising that Fleet would be one of the early ones, given the fact that, you know, between the Postal Service, GSA, and the Uniform Services, we have the largest land fleets of vehicles out there. So why not have a unified way to... But every, every GSA lease vehicle comes with a GSA Smart Pay fleet card to pay for fueling it and also to support maintenance. Yeah, there you go. So um, 20 years, wow, that's pretty cool. I think it's, uh, it's a neat milestone to be at, so... There's no question. Um, no party, though. So. Well, and we're, we're looking to, to continue to grow the success of the program and supporting agency mission delivery. It provides a lot of agility to the agencies in meeting a variety of needs, and uh, we're always looking for ways to improve it. So the Smart Pay 3 uh, iteration of the program, the contracts were, the master contracts were awarded last August. Agencies are in the process now of, of transition, so government-wide transition underway. Agencies are competing their task orders because the types of contracts we award are fixed price, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity, task order type uh, contracts. And so once we award, we award the master contracts, it's kind of like a hunting license in the sense that the uh, contractors who win those master contracts can now pursue business with the individual agencies like Navy or, or Interior or SBA, what have you. So you actually have two layers of competition occur, Mark, where initially there's that competition for the master contract, and then they go after the business with each of the agencies. And unlike a conventional competition, the competition here is around basically the, the services and technology capabilities that the uh, contractor banks provide, as well as the refund. So it's actually the cash coming back to the government is usually part of the evaluation process when the agencies are, are evaluating and deciding who to award to. So the banks that won for SmartPay 3 are U.S. Bank and Citibank, and they're both co-branded, meaning that they they offer Visa and MasterCard products. And then in terms of fleet, we also have closed network products that are designed specifically for fleet applications. Mm. With U.S. Bank, we have a, a card product called Voyager for fleet applications. And then with Citibank, we have one called WEX. And so right now, uh, almost to July, we have this uh, task order process underway. Um, a number of agencies, uh, most of them have awarded and are working on their transition work. And we're on the glide path towards the end of November when uh, SmartPay 3 will start actually doing transaction processing. So you see, we award the contracts early, and then the first phase of performance is actually called the transitional period of performance. Right. 
And that's where all the competition and the preparatory work takes place leading up to the end of November when we make the changeover. So your listeners who are federal employees who currently have a travel card or a purchase card or use a fleet card, all those Smart Pay 2 cards that are currently out there are going to be replaced with new Smart Pay 3 cards. And they'll see there's different artwork. There's new logos. Yes. And they're they're still <clears throat> color coded though. Uh, you know, for example, red is purchase, uh, blue is travel, and and green is fleet for our standard artwork. Okay. What's so, the integrated? The integrated like? is uh, is a goldish color, okay. gold and white. Okay. So uh, you're down from three banks to two banks. So I would imagine the major competition uh, is for the uh, accounts that J.P. Morgan had. Uh, well, when, those agencies know they're going to be changing banks. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> there are are issues associated with that, such as uh, they, they know they're going to have to have a, a an interface to the bank from their general ledger system, and it's going to be different from the interface they have now because they are switching banks. So work has to be done to test those and make sure that they're ready to go. That that tends to be on the critical path, that along with making sure that their list of current cardholders, addresses, and spending limits and the controls on those cards are all accurately captured and conveyed to the new bank. So whether they're switching uh, from J.P. Morgan or they're switching, maybe they were Citibank SmartPay2 and they're mm. U.S. Bank SmartPay3, for example, it's the same kind of process that goes on uh, to make sure that the card, the new cards get to the right place in advance of the actual changeover. So those cardholders will get those new cards. And if you have uh, federal listeners who are looking at their cards and say, well, mine doesn't expire, my SmartPay2 card doesn't expire till March of next year or something, doesn't matter. Yeah, wrong right, answer. <laughs> right. That expiration date does not apply. You're still going to be getting a new card. So don't be fooled by the by the expiration date. So uh, a lot do of... Do you want them to shred the old cards at that point or send them back in? How do you deal with that? The agency will issue procedures on what they want done, okay. but generally the cards are destroyed, yes. Yeah. I just didn't know if the individuals did the destroying or the agency wanted to see the card and have it destroyed. And the policies will vary. Some of them will be turning cards into their, what we call AOPC, Agency Organization Program Coordinator. Right. And those are the folks, uh, they're both, they're different levels of AOPCs, like a level one is at an agency headquarters, and there can be five, six, seven levels of hierarchy in very large organizations with AOPCs at at the different levels. So DOD, Right. For example, well, even if you look at like agriculture, you know, if you look out in in an ARS lab, uh, there may be an AOPC there, and uh, he or she is responsible for a group of cardholders, and he or she will, will uh, in accordance with the policies that come down through the chain of command, let those cardholders know what they need to do. Uh, th- those AOPCs are also responsible for setting up the new accounts, making sure cardholders are trained and meet the refresher training requirements, you know, um, monitoring card use, things like that. Okay. And it's usually a collateral duty, uh, especially as you get out into the field structure of most agencies. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Dam Tower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. You can find uh, uh, the SmartPay program at the GSA website. It's smartpay.gsa.gov. There you go. Uh, we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. I'm here today with David Shea, the director for the Center for Charge Card Management at GSA. That means he is responsible for the program that has about a $30 billion spend through uh, what I loosely call plastic. 
So, and nope. it's not all plastic. No, but. it isn't. We have some cardless accounts as well, cardless yeah. spending, and I think we're going to see more cardless use. As Tell me we go what forward. cardless spending is. Basically, uh, I want one. There, well, I can't give you one, Mark. Sorry, but but uh, cardless spend typically does not involve a, a piece of plastic. It may not even involve a card holder. Uh, often, it involves a level of, of integration with an agency's accounts payable system or process, for example. So, what there is is there there may be um, in some cases just a white piece of plastic issued. But it has no labeling on it. It can't be presented to a merchant. And if you think about it, you know, an awful lot of our spend, <clears throat> excuse me, between purchase and travel cards, 86% of our spend is what they call card not present spend in the industry. So meaning we're ordering online or with the travel card, you think about booking uh, airfare, rental cars, hotels, that's all done online. So yes, you have to still present the card when you get to the hotel, but there are even technologies evolving there where that may change. Under SmartPay 3, for the first time, we'll also have mobile payments. So we'll be moving into that space. I think you'll see that occurring uh, on travel cards likely uh, first. But plastic isn't going away, but you'll see additional opportunities to further leverage the spend. I mean, what we'd like to get to is a... Um, an approach where you you look at payments strategically, and if you're paying a bill, and much like you in your personal life might decide, you might say, you know what, I'm going to pay for this on a card because I want to get miles or, or dollars, right? Why should Uncle Sam be any different? You know, we ought to look at how we're paying, and if it makes sense, and if the vendor will accept a card or cardless payment, because there's still that account number involved either yeah. way, rides the rails of MasterCard or Visa uh, for purchase or travel, and then earn that refund, and then farm that refund back into mission delivery to support delivery to uh, you know of those agency missions to to the country. So you know this this is one of the reasons that I like having you on because in your position you have to literally monitor what's happening at that level in the financial world worldwide and parse it down into what makes sense for attempting to deploy in our government. It's it we do have to monitor and I, this is part of our job the the developments in the in the commercial payment space because it is a largely commercial program. Um, I have a wonderful staff that does an outstanding job with this, very creative people. Uh, I also have wonderful customers in the agencies who are very demanding as you would expect. <laughs> um, they're <clears throat> they're always looking for Why can't we do this? <laughs> well, and and you know the other thing is is that uh, this program gets no appropriation from Congress, we get funded basically uh, on a share of the refunds. And so if we don't offer products uh, that meet the customer needs, then, um, you know, we basically go out of business. And so it, there's a lot of, of what I'll call healthy incentive to make sure we're offering um, revenue generating payment tools that the agencies find beneficial. And, you know, what's even more interesting when you talk about global phenomenon and things that have been changing is if you step back and you look at how the micro-purchase threshold has evolved. Do you remember how that started? Oh, yeah. Uh, hold it. Do I remember? Yeah. No. You don't remember. 1994, Federal Acquisition Streamlining okay. Act, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 And, and what, how much was it Fast, when it started back uh, then? Two or 25. 2,500, yeah. you know? And so we had, <sighs> we had one micro-purchase threshold back then, right? And and now 
you know, I, I was looking over the, the history of the threshold because uh, I think it's it's kind of amazing how it's evolved. In 98, you or had... Or didn't evolve for a while. <laughs> well, you know, okay, but in, in 94, you had $2,500 in mm. one micro-purchase threshold. In 98, you had additional authority for uh, preparation for contingency operations or response, excluding construction, and that was a $20,000 and is a $20,000 threshold to this day, 30000 outside the U.S., in fiscal 2010, you had uh, a FAR economic threshold adjustment of the micro-purchase threshold, raising it to 3000 for what I'll call typical procurements, not right. contingency <clears throat> operations. In 2015, five years later, you had another increase to 3500 Then in 2017, DOD got 5000 for routine micro-purchases and 10000 for R&D. And then for institutions of higher education, both DOD and civilian agencies got $10,000 or higher as determined by the head of that educational institution. And then this year in Section 806 of the NDAA in 2018, civilian agencies went to $10,000. And then you have the e-commerce portal that GSA was tasked to uh, develop uh, an approach for uh, in the NDAA. And that has proposed, this is not law, but has proposed a uh, micro-purchase threshold of $25,000 for that. And as I say, that's not in law or anything yet. That's just proposed. So you can see this movement in the threshold as the controls over the program have continued to evolve, the sophistication of the management of the program, the desire for the agencies for increased agility, uh, and you see these things all coming together, and I think as as primary drivers behind the threshold. So we no longer have one micro-purchase threshold. We have several, and it even depends on what organization you're in. Now, granted, not every agency may have these higher thresholds in use. It really should relate to business need. Uh, you want to maintain strong internal controls to make sure the integrity of the program remains high, especially at higher spending levels. But it is, a, I think, a very exciting development that we now have these multiple thresholds at higher levels to help agencies uh, in continuing to uh, deliver uh, their essential missions. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. We shall return and talk more about the Smart Pay program after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I am Mark Amtower. I'm here with a, uh, a personal friend, actually, but a guy who runs the charge card management program for GSA, David Shea. Uh, David, again, thanks for coming in, man. This this is uh, really important stuff. So the, the, the actual... Uh, prior to getting your hands on any any sort of transaction ability, walk me through the training that's necessary. Okay, well, before a cardholder can have a card, and keep in mind that management decides who the cardholders are, what their spending limits are going to be, and you generally see this more on travel cards than you do on purchase, but there are these things called MCC blocks or merchant category code blocks. So there can be certain types of merchants where uh, the card is set up to automatically decline when it's swiped. So management will decide all those things uh, in the context of deciding who's going to be a cardholder. And then before that cardholder can have the card, they must be trained. And the training is not just a one-time thing. It is required by OMB Circular A123 Appendix B 
that cardholders have refresher training at a minimum every three years. Some agencies have issued internal policy to make it more frequent than that. They might have it every two years, for example, Mark. But in general, um, the, the, the cardholders and the card managers, the AOPCs, they have to have refresher training. They have to be uh, trained in what the cardholders are trained in as well. Uh, and so what we have happen is a, a variety of, of delivery mechanisms and training requirements across the government. For example, agencies will often have agency-specific training that addresses how cards are to be used within that agency tailored to that agency's mission. Okay. GSA offers at, at our website, smartpay.gsa.gov, online training that tens of thousands of cardholders take every year. Uh, oftentimes, agencies will require both of a cardholder. You take the GSA training and you take the agency-specific training. And at the GSA site, we not only offer training for purchase card holders and travel card holders, but also for the AOPCs as well. And then once a year, as you mentioned earlier, we have an annual training forum for the card managers only. It's not for card holders. And that will be in, in New Orleans this year. And we'll have uh, 3,500 card managers from across the government and around the world to get trained on things like internal controls, uh, lessons learned, best practices. Uh, they'll be uh, networking with each other <clears throat> about things that they find that works well in their agency. You know, hopefully you get this sort of cross-fertilization between agencies that, that kind of lifts the whole program in terms of this process of continuous improvement that I was talking on about are, before. Are the banks going to be there? The banks teach. Uh, court. We have over okay. 200 classes go on Good Lord. Uh, during the three days of the forum. GSA teaches... Um, we have other activities that may teach, for example, um, GAO or IGs. Sometimes we have OGCs teaching, uh, general counsel offices teaching. It, there's a variety. The brands will teach MasterCard and Visa because they offer uh, data mining systems that the agencies use to help monitor transaction activity. Uh, you'll have training. You'll have hands-on computer-based training because along with uh, the cards, there's this whole sort of control, account management, data functionality that comes along with the program uh, at no additional cost. And so the AOPCs have to be trained in how to use these systems. We call them EASs or electronic access systems. And they're used to set up the accounts, you know, set up those spending limits. They're used to uh, monitor transactions. There's over 50 standard reports under SmartPay 2 and even under SmartPay 3 more reports that agencies can use and and to help them in monitoring the effectiveness of their card program. As I mentioned, we also have the data mining systems that are offered by the brands, and there are data mining systems from the banks. So there are a lot of really capable systems available in reports to monitor card use. You know, in years past, we've talked about uh, you know how how crooks get caught, and you know one of the it's generally one of three ways, right? It's they use a cell phone. They use an ATM or they use a credit card. And, you know, one of the least intelligent things somebody can do is misuse a credit card because if anybody's looking at the data, it's right there. Uh, and in these systems these days, you can see this information at the touch of a button. You can even do ad hoc reporting on it. So they get training in that as well. well and <clears throat> I would assume that the banks offer a way to flag 
the things that should be monitored more closely as well. Absolutely. In these data mining systems, for example, you can load the agency's business rules in there for card use, and it'll identify transactions that are out of parameter. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong, but it needs you got to go pull the thread and take a look at that and make right. sure that it was an appropriate transaction. But, you know, we were talking earlier, and really the integrity of the whole program relies on people being trained, continuously trained. And as you would expect, being such a large program, we have some level of turnover in AOPCs and cardholders every year. And they all they all need the training as well. So there's a, a significant training component that goes along with the cards and managing them. So I imagine the banks are also going to be going after those new accounts in New Orleans. That's kind of peripheral to this. My question would be, as an agency transitions from two to three, do you offer any advisory services, not on which bank to pick, but methodologies for picking them? Oh, absolutely. We have a whole toolkit on our website that the AOPCs can access. We've got templates up there. We've got uh, communication slide decks because another part of the transition that we haven't touched on yet is you've got a huge communication you know, campaign that you've got to do. You've got to make your cardholders aware, hey, these new cards are coming, when to use which card. If you're switching banks, there may be training that at least the card managers have to have because the systems that they use may be changing from the bank that they had before. So these systems that you use to monitor transactions and to set up cardholders and things like that, the EASs, different from bank to bank, they all have to meet the same set of business requirements that are in our contracts, but the look and feel of them is a little bit different. And so there'll be a training component. There'll be this communication. It's kind of a change management type of thing, Mark, in the sense that you have to prepare uh, the folks for what's coming and uh, watch the uh, deployment of the cards and the activation of the cards very carefully so that when you come up to that end of November time frame, you're able to make the changeover without any adverse impact on mission. Yeah. You and I were talking about this offline, but, you know, I asked if if uh, you were surprised that there wasn't a third or even a fourth bank that went after this business. And, and we kind of mutually decided that, you know, the the learning curve for providing transaction cards for the government, for fleet, for, you know, what travel or purchase is is just the learning curve is way too steep. So the institutional knowledge that City and U.S. Bank bring to the table here really almost preclude further competition. Well, you know, we are always looking for more competition, and yeah. competition is, is the name of the game. But when you look at this program and how it has evolved over time, you know, at one level, yes, it's credit cards, right? Right. But at another level, there's a fair amount of complexity going on behind the scenes to make that program work. And you look at uh, the level of investment it takes to support that. You look at um, how many administrative programs have laws uh, written specifically for that program. I mean, we have the Charge Card Abuse Prevention Act of 2012, and then most recently in the Fiscal 18 National Defense Authorization Act passed this past December, uh, Title 18 of that is all about charge cards. The act is called the uh, Saving Federal Tax Dollars Through Better Use of Government Purchase and Travel Cards Act of 2017. So that gets into the data analytics. 
uh, sharing information across agencies about ways to better leverage the program, identify fraud trends. Uh, OMB co-chairs a data management group with us now where we bring the agencies together and talk about data trends and, and card usage and management and all those things related to uh, effective use of, of the program. So a community of practice, another community of practice around charge card management, uh, consistent with this theme of continuous improvement that we've been talking about this morning. Okay, so when when you get together with OMB for that, are the the number one AOPCs usually the people at those meetings, or does it go deeper? Right. Generally, uh, in, in activities like that, we have what are called the level one or level two headquarters AOPCs in those meetings. Yes, they'll be the card managers from the agency headquarters. Cool. I didn't know you were doing that with OMB. It's in the law. I learned something new every day, man. Thank you. We're going to take our last break. We'll be back uh, in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Uh, I, I, I get excited about this program. I've been a huge fan of the SmartPay and prior to that impact program since uh, since I found out about it in the uh, in the late 80s. So um, and, and you just brought something else to my attention, David. Uh, talk about the uh, category management uh, tie-in here, please. Okay, well, under the uh, category <clears throat> management program, which is led by OMB, They're encouraging agencies to use best-in-class contract solutions. And the idea is to to leverage government spend under uh, a set of of contracts that meet stringent requirements in terms of uh, a variety of factors, but it really uh, relates in part to working closely with the agencies to make sure these contracts reflect what the agencies need. And so in this case, in in GSA SmartPay, not just GSA SmartPay 2, the current iteration of the program, but GSA SmartPay 3, because of the way that we put these programs together and we work with the customers and stakeholders, actually for several years leading up to the acquisition itself, both SmartPay 2 and SmartPay 3 are designated by OMB as best-in-class contracts. So what that means is where an agency is looking for charge card payment solutions and our program is a fit, they're encouraged to use our program. And as a matter of fact, today, uh, GSA SmartPay is by far, uh, you know, the selection of the agencies for revenue generating, you know, card payment methods. So uh, we're in most agencies right now, over 560 organizations. Um, I think the issue for the future is especially when you look at these micro-purchase thresholds increasing and things like that, is help, how can we help the agencies get further benefit uh, out of the program? Cool. So um, best in class, man. Way to go. Uh, I'm, why am I not surprised? Um, well, you My know, team gets the credit. I, I, I understand that. It's a team effort. But, you know, for, your, for, for the Center for Charge Cards Management, kudos, um, at least for me. And, and apparently from OMB. Thank you. <laughs> so there you go. So let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, uh, the top agencies that are uh, using the program. We we know like forever VA has been number one because they use the card a lot for getting uh, prescription drugs for their clients. Number one, right? But, and, and prosthetics and veteran care. Um, we're very proud of that. Proud to be uh, supporting VA. 
They are the uh, in terms of purchase card, they're the the top spending organization, followed by uh, the Department of Defense, uh, Department of Justice, Health and Human Services, Interior, uh, Homeland Security. Uh, and then agriculture uh, would be uh, rounding out the top seven. Do you want me to go to the top ten? Sure. So <laughs> rounding out uh, the top ten is Postal Service, Department of Transportation, and Department of State. And that's solely focused on purchase spend, which, again, is the the majority of the program. Hold on, hold on. That is Postal Service is on spend, on yeah, purchase? They use purchase uh, cards and okay. fleet cards. Well, I was going to say fleet, yeah. Because uh, yep. <laughs> They they have it, just uh, I run across their trucks on occasion. Right, uh, and uh, postal is uh, is the top uh, spend in, in the fleet card product. Okay, that now that doesn't surprise me. I would imagine GSA would be number two. You would be correct, sir. Yeah, yeah I don't think the army buys gas for its tanks at the local Exxon. No, our cards <laughs> would get used for non-tactical vehicles. Right in in DoD. So. Uh, let's let's talk about the uh, the merchant categories uh, for a moment. Then uh, we we know VA has uh, a couple there, but what are the other top categories where we see spend? Well, the top categories going from number one to number five are uh, specialty retail stores and miscellaneous. Home the ne- Depot. The next is lab, <laughs> medical, dental, hospital equipment, and supplies. So that's okay. where you see the the VA right. Dimension there, <clears throat> probably um, a little HHS and yes, yeah, definitely DHA, and then you you see colleges and universities and professional schools, so uh, educational activities, uh, and next is business services not elsewhere classified, followed by office supplies, rounding out the top five. All right, what what would be included in business services not elsewhere classified? Would that because I, I I was looking for. Uh, for training spend across the board um, for a couple of companies that I work with. So, but that, that wouldn't fall under not elsewhere classified or would it? Well, see, it depends because when a, when a merchant is set up by their acquirer, now remember we contract with what are called issuing banks, meaning they issue cards, right? Right. The, the, side of the payment industry that supports the merchant is called the acquirer or acquiring side because they acquire the transactions from the merchant and put them into the payment process, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the uh, the level of data provided and the MCC that that merchant is associated with is determined with the acquirer at that time. So... You know, what MCC were they set up under? And this is why I say in answering your question, would it be training that would appear uh, maybe under another MCC, business services not elsewhere classified? The answer is I don't know. Yeah. It really depends on how the acquirer worked with that merchant to set them up when they when they started. And one of the interesting phenomenon you see is is when you look at merchants that carry multiple product lines. Generally, the approach that's taken is whatever the majority of their business is, is the MCC that's selected to to uh, identify that activity. And again, the whole merchant cla- category classification system is a commercial classification system. It is not a federal government right, classification system. Right, so it doesn't tie system. into the PSC right, It does or not the directly tie. No, it does yeah. not. And, yeah. and so <clears throat> when, you, when you get into a commercial program like this and you're able to leverage – um, all that commercial capability, 
There are areas like this where the data that you get is driven by those commercial standards, right? And so uh, you're going to see some variability there. But, you know, whether you look at FPDS data or you look at commercial card data, mm-hmm. the important thing is, is that you understand, you know, both the usability and the limitations of those data sets because they can both be very effective tools provided you understand what those limitations are, right? right. So when you talk about not elsewhere classified, I mean, I'm almost any data set you look at, there's always some catch-all. Right. For, and that's what this is. And, and I mean, if you look at travel spend, you'll see something similar. You know, you'd think that the majority of hotel spend is at the major chains, not necessarily. It depends on where the mission takes you. So you'll see these these other hotels, for example, identified. Yeah, if you're at an Air Force base in the desert, you're not likely to find a Hilton. Right. <laughs> well, you know, the, the government, 24 by 7 global enterprise, and we, we, we do a lot of uh, very interesting, very important things, in some cases in some very unique places in the world. And so, yes, that's that's what – and that gets reflected in the data. Okay. Um <clears throat> So you got the top five categories. Um, let's 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 wrap up by talking a little bit about what contractors really should know about this. Let's start with uh, with level three processing. Okay. Well, similar to to SmartPay two, uh, you know, we contract with the issuers and we require them to pass level three data, which is the line item detail, uh, when they receive it. So for individual merchants, and you can probably speak better to this than I do, the more data-rich transaction information they receive, generally uh, the lower the cost of having that transaction process. So the the interchange cost for a a data-rich transaction level three is going to be lower for that merchant. Uh, The other benefits of card acceptance, particularly for your small businesses, are from a cash flow perspective because with a card transaction – uh, you're going to get paid in one to three days, as opposed to even under some of the fast pay mechanisms available uh, under federal contracts. It might be as long as 15 days, and standard government uh, payment terms are generally net 30. Right, and you so, still have to deposit the check and have it clear, and by the time that clearance thing, your credit card has been in the bank for, you know, weeks. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know that checks, paper checks in some cases still do get issued, but the majority of the payments are, are yeah, electronic, yeah. even if they're they're not card. But the uh, the idea is is that with a with a carded payment, you'll get paid in, in, in one to three days. And as we were talking earlier about the increase in the micro-purchase authority, one thing that merchants uh, might be looking at is, okay, now that agencies can spend more under micro-purchase authority, what impact might that have on their business? Or perhaps before they weren't really uh, considering card acceptance, and maybe now, uh, since agencies, and it'll take a number of years for this to roll out across the government. For example, the, uh, the update to the FAR to reflect these increased spending thresholds that we touched on earlier, the right. 5000 for DOD for routine, the 10000 for civilian, the FAR has not yet been updated to reflect that change. So right. there's a certain inertia related to that. Agencies can, on their own, implement the higher thresholds if they choose, and some have done it. Um, others are, are waiting for the FAR change. So I don't want anybody to think, well, you, you know, you, you pass a law, these changes in, instantly occur, that spending occurs at the higher level. It's, it's the government. Right. It's government like, well, 
not that I think it's any change in any organization. Right. It just takes a while to to roll out across the enterprise and in an organization as huge as the federal government. It's going to take time, and of course, it needs to be tied to 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 business need. But you know, whereas before, uh, some of your listeners on the on the corporate side uh, may have looked at cards one way because we had one micro purchase threshold and it was relatively low might want to take another look, given now we've got multiple micro-purchase thresholds depending upon the category of business and the organization, uh, and the business proposition that it presents now may be somewhat of a different equation than it was earlier. Yeah, so with 51% of the transactions being above micro-purchase anyway, right. um, you, you really need to start, as a vendor, start considering if you haven't moved there, going to level three because you, I've I've seen companies save as much as a point, full point. Usually, it's somewhere between a half and three a basis quarters. point. Yeah, because I'll tell you, that fifty-one percent that uh, occurred last year, fiscal seventeen, with a micro purchase threshold at thirty-five hundred was the baseline for that, and over half of our spend was above micro purchase, which would tend to indicate that the cards on a point you were making earlier. Uh, about contract payments. So mm-hmm. contract spend, uh, as you know, uh, uh, spending above or purchases above the micro-purchase threshold uh, have to be reported in the federal procurement data system. Right. So those procurement personnel, when they make those contract payments, they would be reporting those transactions into FPDS. Man, David, great information as always. So Thank uh, you. Let's, let's, let's get something on the calendar for next year. Uh, I, yes, sir. It's been great. Thank you for inviting me back again, Mark. It's it's always a pleasure. Uh, David Shea is the director for the Center for Charge Card Management at GSA. Uh, we're talking roughly $30 billion in transactions that uh, a portion of is rebated to the government because of, of their prop pay. So thanks again for coming in. This is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, particularly the use of social media, especially LinkedIn. If that's of interest, drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Amtower Off Center, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.